Well, our second scripture reading comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. We're going to read verses 36 through 44. You can find that on page 1,539 of your pew Bibles. Matthew 24, verses 36 through 44. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it be found keeping watch. I think one of the greatest desires that we have as human beings is to know the future. I mean, think about it. If you could know the future, how much easier would your life be? You could make all the right choices on so many different things. Where to go to school, what career to pursue, who to marry, where to live. All these decisions that require risk would automatically be simplified if you could just know the future. I mean, this is why people go to fortune tellers and read their daily horoscope. It's why in some Christian circles, people seek a word from a prophet. They want those life choices that are difficult to make to become easy. And yet, in God's wisdom, he has limited our knowledge to the past, somewhat in the present. But he doesn't give to us the future. He doesn't give us all the answers. And without a divine revelation from him, the the future will remain a mystery. We are now in our fourth week of Jesus' Olivet Discourse, and hopefully by now you are starting to get a grasp of, of what Jesus was communicating to his disciples. If you recall, Jesus had had spoken about the future. He had prophesied this coming destruction upon the temple of God, that the house of the Lord would be left desolate. It would be abandoned by Yahweh and unprotected. And as Jesus was leaving those temple grounds and proceeding to the Mount of Olives, 
He, he said that a, a day was approaching when the whole thing would be thrown down. Not one stone would be left upon another. And if you remember, it was Christ's disciples who had come to him privately in order to ask him two questions. When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they wanted to know a date, and they wanted to know what to look for that would warn them of this impending judgment. But before Jesus answered either of those questions, he, he spoke to these men of, of how they should be, what they needed to be in the upcoming days. One, they would need to be discerning, as many false prophets and false messiahs would try to fool them by pointing to the, the troubles of this world, claiming that those would be the signs from God of the end of the age. Two, they would need to be courageous, as troubling times did await them. And three, they would need conviction, as they would face severe persecution as they proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. These were the three qualities that would become the marks of a true disciple of Jesus. And then Christ left them with a promise as well, an assurance, if you will, that as they would be those three things, as they would be discerning, as they would be courageous, as they would be men of conviction, then their gospel witness would bear fruit throughout the whole world. And then last week, when we looked at verses 15 through 35, we saw that Jesus had finally answered one of their questions. The question about the sign. The sign of his coming and of the end of the age. This, and this thing that Jesus pointed them to was, was none other than the abomination that causes desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. And we discussed what that, that would have meant for these disciples. That just as, as Antiochus IV had laid siege upon Jerusalem roughly 200 years prior, this generation, the generation of these disciples, would see a similar event unfold. Armies would invade the land and surround the city of Jerusalem. And that was a sign that they, they were to look out for. But not only were they to look for that sign, but once they saw it, Jesus had commanded them to flee. Just as, just as Lot fled from Sodom and did not look back, so too they would have to leave everything behind and head for the mountains. You see, God's judgment would fall upon the land, and there was nothing that they could do about it. And that leads us to today and to our scripture reading that we just read. And we see here that Jesus is now addressing the first question that they asked this, this question of timing. When will this happen? Come on, Jesus, give us a date, give us an hour so that we can know and be ready. Let's see how Jesus answered this question. Look at verse 36. 
No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Think about what Jesus just said. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, I would be remiss as your pastor if I didn't address the elephant in the room. How, how can Jesus, being fully God, not know something? I mean, God is omniscient, is he not? It is here where we need to think about the nature of Jesus. Jesus is God incarnate. That means he is both fully man and fully God. He is one person with two natures. Look at Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Here we see Jesus made himself nothing. He humbled himself by becoming a man. He did not grasp hold of his godly nature. And the reason he did this was so that he might rescue us, rescue us from our sins. So what does this mean? How do we explain God becoming a man? It means that when Jesus took upon human flesh, he also took upon our human nature. Now this doesn't mean that that there has ever been a time where, where he wasn't fully God. But it does mean that during his earthly ministry, he had chosen to veil some of his godly attributes. For example, Jesus had veiled his magnificent glory. It wasn't until the Mount of Transfiguration that, that, that he had chosen to reveal that glory to three of his disciples. But why do this? Why this, this veiling? Because it was necessary for our salvation. In order for him to be our representative before God the Father, he needed to share in our human experience. This is explained to us in the book of Hebrews. Look at Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 18. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. 
For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I hope you see this. Jesus humbled himself in this manner because it was necessary for our salvation. He took upon our human nature in order to fulfill his salvific work. So what does this look like? How is this expressed in the life of Jesus? Look at, look at Luke chapter 2 verse 40. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Jump forward 12 verses. Look at verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Here we see Jesus as a child growing up. And just like all children, he grew in stature, he grew in strength, And he grew in wisdom. This is the humility of our Lord. Yet he is both fully God and fully man. The idea is that that Jesus, of his own initiative, limited his divine attributes in order to experience humanity in an authentic manner. In a way it was subtraction by addition. Jesus did not become less divine by becoming human, yet in his humanity certain divine attributes were not grasped. Now for our finite minds, this is a difficult concept. For for we feel this tension of the two natures of Jesus. I mean, Jesus is fully God, always has been, always will be. And yet, when he took upon humanity, he took upon humanity's limitations as well. If he didn't eat, he grew hungry. If he got cut, he felt pain. And yes, he grew in wisdom. There were certain things that that he needed to learn as his brain developed. And yet, at the same time, he was still the all-knowing and sovereign God. Think about this. When he was an infant and nursing upon Mary's breast, he was also holding together the universe by the power of his hand. Now how that works is beyond my understanding. But this is what God's word teaches. And this is what we see in our passage for today. For when it came to the day and the hour of Jesus' coming, he had chosen to veil that information from himself. He did not know. Only the Father knew. But understand this. Jesus had limited himself in this way for your sake. So that you might be saved. How wonderful and amazing is our Savior. 
But the point of the passage, the point that Jesus is trying to make here is not so much that he didn't have the answer, but that they, his disciples, would not have the answer either. This was one question that God the Father would not reveal to them. They would not receive the date of the temple's destruction. They would have to remain in ignorance. But not just them, but all of humanity. Now there are two ways that humans can be ignorant. The first is a willful ignorance. This is when a person just does not care. They don't want to know. And when it comes to the things of God, there are many who are out there who would rather ignore all that God is communicating to them than to listen. Thus, the word ignorant. But there is also a second way that a person can be ignorant. And it's not so much that they don't want to know. It's just that they don't have access to a certain knowledge. And when it comes to knowing the future, our human minds are limited. Without a special revelation from God above, we are in the dark. And as we look at the rest of our passage, we will see that Jesus addresses both types of ignorance. And he begins with the first, those who willfully ignore God. Look at, look at verses 37 through 41. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Jesus now compares his generation to the generation that lived during the time of Noah. You see, those who lived during Noah's day, not only were they committing evil acts, but they were also oblivious to what God was doing. This is what we read about in our first scripture reading. Look at, look at Genesis 6, verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. Here we see that the whole world had become corrupt. They had rejected their God and lived only for themselves. And yet there was one man who had remained faithful. Noah. The Apostle Peter tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And one of the ways that, that, that he preached his message was through the construction of the ark. I mean, think about it. How many years did it, did it take for Noah to build that ark? 
This was a massive, massive structure that became a massive sign for the whole world to see. When people came to Noah to ask him what he was building, what do you think was Noah's answer? I'm sure he warned these people of the flood that God would bring. You see, the, the people had no excuse because Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He had warned them. And yet these same people did nothing. They were eating. They were drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage. They were living their lives as, as if nothing was wrong. And even though God had spoken clearly to them, through his prophet Noah, they did not care. They were willfully ignorant. The same would be true of Jesus' generation. They had been visited by a greater prophet than Noah. The king of glory was at their front door. And the message that he preached was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And yet they turned their backs on him. They crucified him. And then they just carried on living their lives as if God would not take his vengeance upon them. As if he would not send his Roman armies to ravage their land. You see, these Roman soldiers, they were, they were ruthless. They would kill indiscriminately. Two men will be in a field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding, one will be taken and the other left. The flood that these Roman warriors would bring would, would sweep them all away. How many today act as if the judgment of God is not upon them? How many have this nonchalant attitude when it comes to the message of Christ? to his call for repentance? How many just go about their lives as if everything is just hunky-dory? Even though God has warned them through his word and through his church, they just disregard his coming judgment as if nothing serious is ever coming their way. How many are willfully ignorant because they ignore God. Perhaps this description describes you. You have been ignoring God most of your life. You don't even know why you're here today. Perhaps you just go to church because your parents make you. Perhaps you just found us online you just happened upon us on YouTube, and for some reason you chose not to click away. If this is you, then let Jesus' words sink in. Stop ignoring them. There is a judgment that you are under, and unless you look to Jesus, you too will be swept away. Turn from your sins and trust in Christ. Trust in his sacrificial death upon the cross as a payment for your sins. Trust that he rose from the dead in victory three days later and now offers to you eternal life. 
You see, Jesus truly is the only one who can rescue you from the wrath that is to come. But it's not just those who ignore God's warning that need instruction. There are also those who who seek God's will and yet are still in the dark. Look Look at verse 42. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Keep watch. What were they to watch for? The sign that Jesus had spoken of. This abomination that causes desolation. They were to keep their eyes peeled for these approaching armies. They were to be vigilant, lest they too would get swept away in the devastation. But being watchful means means more than just staring off into the clouds looking for signs. It also means to be faithful to Christ's teachings. Faithful to fulfill the, the, the work that Jesus had for them. Namely, making disciples of all nations. Keeping watch means keeping the faith. And why were they to keep watch? What did Jesus say? Because you do not know. They did not know the day nor the hour that their Lord would come in judgment. Their their knowledge was limited because God had chosen not to reveal it to them. Not to reveal that specific time that he would bring about this destruction upon Jerusalem. And this is the second way that, that we as humans can be ignorant. It's not for our lack of desire. Rather, it's because of our limitations. There are just certain things that our finite minds cannot comprehend. The future being one of them. Ever since I became a Christian, I have had this insatiable drive to know all that there is about God. I want to have all the answers. But what I've come to realize is that there are just some things that will remain a mystery. Things that God will not fully reveal to us. Things like the Trinity or what we talked about earlier with Jesus being one person and having two natures. Sure, these are things that we can apprehend, but we cannot comprehend. I mean, we kind of understand them, but, but they're still a mystery. And that's how it was for Jesus' disciples. When it came to God's judgment upon the Jewish nation, Christ had revealed to these men that his coming... That, that this end of the age would happen in their generation. But as for the specific time and the specific date, only the Father knew. And thus, they were to keep watch. Look at, look at our last two verses. Look at verses 43 and 44. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour you do not expect him. This is the first of five parables that Jesus will share with his disciples over what it means 
to keep watch. And it is this first one that, that really sets the stage for the other four. For it stresses both our ignorance and our need to be ready. Think about it. The, the owner of the house, he had no knowledge of the thief's arrival. I mean, why should he, right? It's not like a thief's going to advertise when he's going to come, right? What, is, what do thieves do? They wait. They, they keep watch, right? When the timing is just right, when the whole house is asleep, then they strike. The homeowner is ignorant of the thief's plan. And so the wise thing for him to do is to keep watch so that the thief will be caught. In a similar fashion, Christ's disciples must keep watch. They must be ready. For the Son of Man will, will come at an hour that they do not expect. But what does it mean to be ready? That means that they must remain true to all that Jesus had taught them. That they must have discernment when it comes to false prophets and false messiahs. That they must have courage as the world that they lived in is full of pain and suffering. They must stand firm in the midst of persecution. And they must proclaim the gospel, warning all men of this impending judgment, of this coming of the Son of Man. The same is true for us today. We must be ready. We must keep watch. Dear friends, you don't know what tomorrow will bring, whether it will be a day full of sunshine or a day full of pouring rain. But what you do know is that God's judgment is coming. You don't know the day, you don't know the hour, but it is coming nonetheless. And so you must keep watch. You must be ready. And Jesus has shown you the way to be ready. And it is through repentant faith in him. It is through looking to the cross of Christ and finding salvation in his blood. Do not be willfully ignorant when it comes to Jesus. Or you too will be swept away. Those who ignored Jesus' words, those who ignored their Messiah, they were not ready. The chief priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were caught off guard, even though the sign was obvious. They put their trust in the walls of Jerusalem. They put their hope in this man-made structure, thinking that that would bring them salvation. But the only thing it brought was death and destruction. They should have put their trust in Jesus Christ, for only he can truly save. The same choice is before you. The judgment of God is coming. You don't know the day, you don't know the hour, but it is coming. And if you ignore Jesus' words, if you ignore your Messiah, if you just live your life as if nothing is going to happen, then the flood of God's wrath will, will come and sweep over you. 
at an hour that you do not anticipate. And yet, if you keep watch, if you are ready, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, then he will come and deliver you when you least expect it. For he is the only one who has the power to save. Let us pray. Father, we are a grateful, grateful people because of what your son has done for us. He has entered in into our suffering by becoming a man. And he has done so because he wanted to rescue us. He is our, our, our one true sacrifice that takes away all of our sins. And for that, we worship and honor him. We ask now that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to keep watch, to be ready, that we would not be ignorant about the teachings of your Son, but that we would turn from our sins and trust in him. Help us to be a people that is prepared, a people who are ready. Help us to keep watch. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.